to have you all here, by the way. We have your Bibles. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We want to look at verses 1 through 5 tonight. The, the day of the Lord and the man of sin is what I've titled the message here this evening. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here and pray that you would bless our study as we open the Word of God tonight. And then, Lord, for all the other ongoing ministries with the Awana Youth Group, we thank you for all the workers, the leaders. Uh, be with them. May the Word of God go forth with power. Uh, work in our lives with that which uh, only you can do. Uh, changes, uh, Lord, as believers, and Lord, if they're unbelievers, I pray that you'd be at work in their hearts as the word goes forth as well. So we commit our evening to you now, pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, uh, we have the outline up. It's behind me? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's back up here. Where are we going here? There. That's my outline. I know what it looks like. Uh, okay. Theme is the day of the Lord, a day of God's judgment. We're really into the thick of it here t- tonight in our study. Worked our way through this opening section here in chapter 1. Now chapter 2, clarifying issues surrounding the day of the Lord judgment. So that's, uh, that's key in terms of what we're, what we're dealing with here tonight. Uh, chapter 1 is uh, a lot about encouragement. Uh, he's encouraging these people. They were going through some serious persecution. And he's saying, you know, this is really a sign that you are kingdom people. Uh, kingdom people are persecuted people uh, in the church age. And uh, so he's uh, emphasizing that and also emphasizing that payday is coming someday for the unbeliever. Uh, they are going to reap the consequences of what they've done uh, to God's people. And then we come to chapter 2. Chapter 1, encouragement. Chapter 2 is a chapter on correction. Uh, They should really have known better because you get to verse 5 in our study tonight. He says, you know, I already told you guys these things. (laughs) But they're kind of being swayed by some deceitful teachers who are on the scene. Somebody's trying to sway them and get them off track. And so uh, he's bringing some correction uh, that they already knew, and, and they should have known this already. But, you know, people do need correction, right? Especially new believers uh, need to be have the truth reinforced again and again and again, the way it seems. And so uh, he's bringing this out as a correction here. Uh, in terms of the uh, next slide here, this is Hebert, uh, Edmund Hebert. The para- this paragraph, uh, chapter 2, 1 through 12, constitutes the very heart of the epistle. It's crucial because of its uh, momentous eschatological import. Eschatological, big word meaning, uh, you know, things related to last things. No other portion of the prophetic scriptures covers precisely the same points of revelation given here. That's why it's so important. Uh, Add certain details here that we really don't find exactly anywhere else. Uh, Ties in with what is elsewhere, but uh, not exactly. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read verses 1 and 2. For, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Who wants to read that? Yeah, Vince. Okay. 
So notice he begins uh, his correction with now brethren. That's a good, a good tone, isn't it? Now brethren. <laughs> Reminding, hey, I'm seeing you as brothers here. Uh, it's, it's warm, it's gracious. Uh, and Paul, a lot of times, and you read his letters, when he's got some correction to bring out, he starts this way. Yeah, it's just a good reminder. I mean, I like it when somebody starts that way with me. How about you? You like them to start rough? Hey, guys! Uh, no, brethren. Uh, he starts that way. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Uh, when he says concerning the coming, that's the, the Greek word parousia, which is often used in reference to uh, Christ coming for his church. Uh, it's really the idea of his, his presence, uh, where we're going to be in his presence uh, he's coming again, so we'll be with him. Uh, that, that concept of uh, parousia presence. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. I think when he talks about the, the coming and our gathering, it's one event here. Uh, he's talking about really, I think, the, the rapture. Uh, Hebert again brings this out uh, when he says... Uh, the government of the two nouns under one article makes clear that one event viewed under two complementary aspects is the thought. Uh, it is a summary statement of the teaching given in 1 Thessalonians 4. So I think, again, that's when we're talking about the coming of our Lord and our gathering together, that, that's, that's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, is all about. Uh, and what he is emphasizing, uh, he starts here, uh, the rapture is first, and therefore, you don't have to be afraid of the day of the Lord. This is the overarching concerns, like, hey, maybe we're in the day of the Lord. Uh, no, we're not. And uh, so he's, that's, that's the issue here. He's, he's really dealing with this. This uh, word, uh, gathering, is literally the, the assembling. It's only used one other place, and that's in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling. Uh, you sure don't want to for, forsake this assembly. <laughs> and you won't. If you're a true believer, you're going to be there. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but it's that, that idea of assembling. You think about the Lord's coming. What is it going to be? It's going to be an assembling. I always say for the first time, we're all going to be there. We're all going to be on time. Nobody's going to be late. Nobody's going to be missing. Right? Yeah. Everybody will hear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's going to hear the, hear the shout, hear the call. Yeah, we're going to hear the summons, that's for sure. But notice, uh, he says, concerning this, there's some concern here. He says, uh, concerning this, we, we ask you. Uh, he says, I want you, I want you to have a certain frame of mind here. Uh, verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or, or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as, as if from us, as though the day really, of the Lord. Uh, the older manuscripts, all, pretty much commentaries are in agreement here, should read, of the Lord uh, has come. So, uh, concerning the rapture, uh, don't think we're in the day of the Lord. The rapture comes first, that's what his point's going to be, then the day of the Lord judgment. Uh, don't, be, uh, don't be soon shaken in mind. Uh, there's a lot of confusion on the scene right now over this whole issue. Uh, and really, the issue is the timing of the rapture. And there's still a lot of confusion in the timing of the rapture. Um, I regularly sit down with people who are confused about this. Uh, when is the rapture for sure? Uh, and uh, you got a lot of, even evangelical teachers, some of them teach, you know, uh, midway through the tribulation. You got the Rosenthal view, you know, the pre-wrath view. You go about three quarters of the way through the tribulation. 
It gets, I read these guys, it's like, man, this is confusing. It's uh, certainly confusing to me, let alone a brand new believer uh, in terms of the stuff they, they say. So he says, uh, don't be uh, concerning our, uh, the rapture, our coming, the coming of the Lord and our gathering him, not to be soon shaken. Uh, this idea of shaking is tossed to and fro. Uh, you, your mind is all helter-skelter all over the place here. Uh, it's the idea of, uh, this word, by the way, was used of a ship that's being tossed on the waves. Uh, don't be shaken in, in mind, uh, in your thinking. Stay calm. Keep your head is the idea. Uh, don't be shaken in mind, soon shaken in mind or, or troubled. That is disturbed. Don't be disturbed in your mind, in your thinking. Uh, Paul is not certain of the exact source of this agitation, but evidently he has gotten wind of false teachers lying about his teaching. Uh, these false teachers were evidently claiming that the day of the Lord had indeed commenced and that Paul was now in agreement with this teaching. Paul mentions three areas of counterfeit concern. That's really what he's talking about. So it seems that there's someone on the scene say, oh yeah, uh, we're in the day of the Lord and Paul's on board here. Paul is in agreement here. Uh, you know, why would they want to do that anyway? I don't understand these people that want to kind of take us into the day of the Lord. I, I don't get that to start with. But they're pushing it. And uh, so he says, uh, either by spirit, that would be false prophecy, evidently. Uh, somebody standing up and contradicting what Paul's clearly taught them. Either by spirit, uh, I've got a spiritual prophecy, uh, or by word, uh, you know, rumors. Paul said this. I heard I, Paul uh, gotten word that Paul has said this, or uh, whatever. Um, or by letter, uh, evidently a forged letter would, would be in, in view here. Whatever the source, Paul is saying, it's misinformation. I'm not on board with the idea that we're in the day of the Lord. And that's what he's going to go on to emphasize. It's not true. As from us, he says, as though the day of Christ had come. Again, the older manuscripts read of the Lord. Pretty much uh, everybody's uh, in agreement on that. Not a lot of uh, disagreement there that the older manuscripts read uh, the day of the Lord. Day of Christ would seem to suggest the rapture. Day of the Lord, you know, that which follows the rapture, uh, the day of the Lord judgment. And so that's what we believe is, is in view here. Um, let's see here. The day of the Lord relates to that period of time following the rapture, which is a time of worldwide judgment as described in detail in Revelation 6 through 19. Really 6 through 18, you have the coming of the Lord in 19. So, uh, to think you have entered into that period of time would indeed be disturbing. Um, a couple years ago, I had a, she doesn't go to our church, but she, I know her. And she was really concerned, like maybe we are entering into the tribulation period. And she was really disturbed by this. And, uh, you know, if you really think you're in that time, that would be disturbing, right? I mean, that would, that would mess with your, with your mind. I mean, yeah, been left behind. I've heard people playing jokes like this one story I read about this. They were having camp, you know, a Bible camp. Somebody has gone and came back and had all their clothes out and looked, tried to make it look like everybody had been raptured and they'd been talking about the rapture. <laughs> The person was all, all worried. I've been left behind. Oh, that would be a terrible feeling. A terrible fear if you were concerned about that. Um, one of the last things that Jesus said night before his crucifixion, let not your heart be troubled. And then followed up with the promise that he would return again and receive us to himself. 
The timing of the rapture is unknown to us, but it is clear that it happens before the day of the Lord. And that's going to be Paul's point here in what he is saying here. Okay, you can't hardly read this, but uh, the Thessalonians error. Uh, we're in the church age. The day of the Lord judgment follows the church age and then the second coming. They're saying, we're here. This is, this is the error that's on the scene here. Uh, the one that they are not to be shaken by. And uh, then Paul's correction. Uh, we're here. The rapture is next. And then the day of the Lord judgment. Don't, don't get uh, disturbed thinking we're over here because we're not. We're still here in the church age. And the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. We're, we're not here. So that this is what his correction really is, is about here. Okay, any other thoughts there? All right, let's have somebody read verses 3 and 4. Who wants to read 3 and 4? Yeah, Mac. Okay, Uh, this is some of the most incredible verses. Uh, Notice he begins, let no one deceive you by any means. Why would people want to deceive someone about this particular issue? Uh, You know, there's some things I don't understand why people want to uh, mess with other people, like, like viruses, for example, on computers. Why would you want to get in there and plant viruses? I mean, what? Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, some ulterior motive. Oh, the preppers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think that's true. They they do have ulterior motives. Yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah. We had a guy years ago in our church, and he he was really scolding me that I should be I should be hammering people that they need to, you know, buy land outside of town like he's doing and, and you know, get their artillery and, and other, you know, six months. Above. I said, you know what, brother, when everybody finds out you got the food and they don't have it, you really are big trouble. <laughs> You're going to need more guns than you got. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of reasons. People, sometimes people, it's almost like uh, uh, attention thing, too, sometimes. Like, wow, look at my sensationalism. Listen to what I have to say. I don't know, all kinds of... But let no one deceive you. Don't let anybody mislead you, is the idea. By any means. Um, There's two markers that he then puts in place. Don't think you're in the day of the Lord, because there's two, two things that have to be in place first before the day of the Lord. There's two markers that he puts. Not three, not four, not five, two. And uh, he says, don't let, don't let anyone deceive you by any means. These markers must be in place before the day of the Lord. And uh, so notice he mentions two things here. Uh, the falling away, we'll talk about what is that, and the man of sin is revealed. So these two things precede the day of the Lord. I mean, before we're into it in earnest, uh, these must be in place right here. 
And uh, let me just say this about many questions have been raised about the timing of the great war of Gog and Magog and Ezekiel. I'm thinking about it right now because I just got done preparing a message for Curtis DeFord this morning on this topic. This is a mega war. I mean, there's more spoken about the war of Gog and Magog than any war in the Bible, including Armageddon. So it's a major, major, major event. Uh, but uh, some places were prior to the day of the Lord. Uh, for a lot of reasons, I don't think that's so. But however, Paul, under inspiration, doesn't name it as a major prophetic marker that must precede the day of the Lord. Uh, it would surely seem to be a major marker to be noted if it is to happen prior to the day of the Lord. But Paul does not mention it. Now, admittedly, that is an argument from silence. But the fact that Paul does not name it as a pre-day of the Lord marker is notable. So just FYI on that uh, score there. Um, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, the day of the Lord won't come, unless there's two things in place. Uh, the falling away comes first. The falling away comes first. Now this uh, falling away is the word apostasia. And uh, it's an interesting word. Uh, the Greek word translated falling away is literally apostasia. It actually made up of two Greek words combined into one. Uh, this word consists of apo, meaning away from, and stasis, meaning standing. So quite literally, this word apostasia means standing away from. So Paul says that the standing away from must happen first. But the question remains, what does this standing away from refer to? Well, that's a good question, right? That's the question on the table here. Well, what does it mean, uh, this uh, standing away from? Uh, apostasia, translate apostasy commonly, uh, can refer to one of two things. Uh, it means to depart from, but it can have a religious connotation or a physical connotation. Uh, it, it has both uh, in the New Testament, but uh, religious defection is the, the most popular uh, interpretation here. And um, it, is, it is used that way, for example, uh, in Acts 21.21. 21. It has the definite article here, the apostasia. Uh, it's a definite one. It's uh, the standout one, the specific one. Um, by the way, um, if this has to come first and it's so pronounced, uh, that would seem to kind of take away from the, uh, uh, the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. It's like, oh, wow, the apostasia. Uh, if it's a religious apostasy... And, and it's very kind of hard to pick up on that because, you know, the Bible talks about in the last days, perilous times will come, talking about the church age. Uh, days of apostasy. That's what's being described in 2 Timothy. So if we're talking about a religious apostasy, um, you know, and, and John says even his days, even, even now, uh, many false or many antichrists have come on the scene, by which we know it's the last hour. Well, that was, if that's the case, if we're looking for a, apostasy, I'd say at any given point, you could probably make an argument, okay, that's in place, right? I mean, it, it's characteristic down through the age. And so, uh, but that's, that's one view. Uh, there's always been apostasy uh, on the scene, and uh, there's a specific one in view here. Uh, which apostasy, which religious apostasy are we talking about? Uh, that, that becomes kind of an issue, especially since the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night with no forewarning. Um, the other view is we're talking, uh, there's, a, there's another meaning, which I prefer here. Uh, again, good people disagree here. But uh, just the idea of, of departure, the idea of departure from one place 
to another. Um, Tim LaHaye says, uh, the first seven translations of the English Bible translated it as departure. Not apostasy in a religious sense of the word, but simply departure. Uh, no one knows why the translators of the King James Version rendered it uh, falling away. Um, it's like, why did they transliterate uh, baptisma, baptizo. <laughs> well, we know why, kind of. There was pressure, political pressure. But anyway, uh, they, they rendered it falling away, or why others translate it rebellion. The case can be made that all seven of the earliest translations of the English Bible were right in rendering it departure, which could mean physical departure or rapture. And uh, so I, that, that makes a good point uh, as far as how those first uh, English translations uh, translated it uh, as a departure. In fact, I put him up here, uh, apostasia as departure or departing. Uh, all of these early trans English translations, you can see the old English here, but departure, uh, all, all seven of them. And then, you know, we have the King James come along. Instead of departure, a falling away first with the uh, kind of the feel of uh, religious uh, apostasy. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, and and there's even a pretty close context about our our, our the coming of the Lord and our gathering. There there is a departure that is in pretty close context here. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's a great point, Vince. Uh, I got a few slides here. Let me run through them here. Um, some scholars, while agreeing with the pre-tribulation rapture, uh, you know, we're in agreement on this, still think departure is not consistent with the nature of the rapture. Uh, they argue that nowhere else is the rapture described this way. A departure is an, act, an active action on the part of the one departing, while in the rapture, the church is passively snatched up. That's a great point. Uh, so they conclude that the rapture is not an act of departure on the part of the saints, and so they prefer the view of religious defection. Uh, so we're going somewhere with this. However, uh, the, right here there is a twist that I think needs to be considered. Apostasy viewed as the departure in context may essentially apply to the Holy Spirit. Paul has a tendency to develop his thought and build on what he is saying. Uh, we, we all tend to do that. Uh, we may have that here. In verse 7, Paul speaks of the restrainer who will be taken out of the way. I take this to be the Holy Spirit. So it is possible to equate the departure in verse 3 with the restrainer who is taken out of the way in verse 7. And so, yes, uh, okay, if you don't like the idea of applying it to the uh, rapture per se... Uh, you know, verse 3, the falling away, departure, as I would see it, comes first. But then, in very, as he develops his thought, he talks about the restrainer uh, who will do so until he is taken out of the way. Um, so that would definitely fit here in terms of what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and he will depart at the rapture in a kind of reversal of Pentecost. And of course, as a byproduct of this removal, the church will be removed as well because the church is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Think of the Holy Spirit's specialized ministry in this era as two bookends of the church age. 
And I clearly, I think that's what we have. In fact, the Spirit is so pronounced in the church age that some call this the age of the Spirit. I mean, it's, uh, this, the church is all about the Holy Spirit's ministry. Uh, sent, and of course, he's always omnipresent. Uh, you know, he began a specialized ministry in relationship to the church. His coming was in relationship to a specialized ministry at, at uh, Pentecost. But uh, when the church is completed, the, the spirit departs in that sense, of the, of, of, in the sense that he was sent here. Now he departs in terms of the specialized ministry. Still going to be at work in the world. People still going to get saved. But in terms of that work, that specialized work through the church, um, that, that will be completed. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? A um, couple of more. Bottom line uh, is that I take the departure here in reference to the Holy Spirit, whose removal inherently involves the removal of the church because the church is sealed with the Spirit. The whole life of the church is bound up with the Spirit. If he's removed, the church by necessity must also be removed. One more slide here. So I see this as uh, one event, two aspects. Our gathering, gathering of the church, uh, removal of the church, uh, but then also the departure, removal of the spirit, the, the removal of the restrainer. Uh, I see this as one event, two aspects. Um, okay, removal of the church, removal of the spirit. And uh, it's, it's one event. Okay, um, any thoughts there before we get into the man of sin? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's their argument. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but they would argue. I'm out of whack here now. Uh, they would argue, I think, Vince, that uh, we are passive in that action. Uh, you know, he is he is receiving us to himself, and and uh, so we're snatched up, we're caught up. It's passive on our part, versus an active departure. Yeah. So so that's that's what they're arguing. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the dead being raised certainly is the Lord's doing, us being caught. It's all the Lord's doing. We all agree on that. Um, but yeah, what, how much of, are we going to build into that nuance here is really what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, so, amen. 
the event, yeah, yeah and, that, and that could be. Um, in, in all honesty, I haven't, I haven't studied all of those total fine nuances as far as that argument. It's just what they say. <laughs> but, yeah, I get your point. It's like uh, there is a departure there. Yeah, there is a departure there. Yeah. I mean, whether the Holy Spirit, and even the Holy Spirit was sent, is the Holy Spirit then, uh, you know, is the Holy Spirit brought back by Christ? Christ sent the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, so we get into all that too, you know? Yeah, so anyway, uh, that's a good point. Okay, um, anyone else? I don't want to leave anyone out. Okay, let's, yes, yes, sir, Andrew. Well, I'm, in, uh, I'm really getting to next week's study. I believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And uh, I take it the restraining ministry is through the church. And so when, when the, if the church is removed, it would seem to me that the ministry of the Spirit working through the church is, is, is removed. So it's, it's kind of a deductive argument. We have clear scriptural statement as far as the coming of the Spirit in relationship to the church, right? So it's kind of an argument based on reasoning. If that first point is true, that the Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost, especially in relationship to the church, when the church leaves, it would seem that that ministry of the Spirit also ceases at that point. So it's a kind of a deductive argument, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, verse 7 is what I'm really looking at there. I'm not going to get there tonight, but it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, when I teach on the rapture, I always describe the church being removed, and that's the Holy Spirit that dwells in it. The Holy Spirit can't disappear from creation. Oh, God. right. And I, I describe it as reverting to an Old Testament-like ministry. That's right. I agree. Amen. Yeah, the Spirit is still going to be very active or nobody would ever get saved. I mean, and, and uh, yeah, he was very active in the Old Testament. It will be in the tribulation period, millennium. Yeah, so he's always active. But there is a specialized ministry working through the church. The Spirit and the bride say, come, you know. I mean, he's, I think there's a, there is a restraining ministry through God's people, even the church. Guys say the world doesn't appreciate the church, but they should because of the restrainer's working through the church, I think. Uh, his, his ministry is very bound up with the church during the church age. Okay, uh, let's go on. Let's uh, press on here. Verse, uh, verse 3 continues. So the falling away, which I take it to be uh, the departure, uh, the, uh, the rapture, really. Uh, and, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Uh, this is the Antichrist. Uh, some manuscripts read lawlessness instead of sin, but sin is described as lawlessness in 1 John 3, 4. So I think we're maybe uh, dealing with nuances there. Sin is lawlessness. Uh, he'll have no regard for God's law. This Antichrist is really a law unto himself. I mean, if you're God, you make the laws, right? <laughs> and he's going to think he's God. I mean, he's going to claim to be God. Uh, so this is really his character. He's a man of lawlessness, a man of sin. And uh, the man of sin is revealed. Um, you know, he's alive, it seems, for a while before he's revealed. Maybe he's alive today. I don't know. You know, uh, we, we don't know. But he is going to be revealed. And uh, yes, 
Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So my contention is that there is hopefully somebody who took the role of the Antichrist, and hopefully the Lord says not yet. Yeah, amen. I, I, I won't disagree with that. I mean, I think it's always somebody in the wings that the devil could use. Yeah, to that end, if if uh, if the door was open. Yeah, because nobody knows when the rapture is going to happen. Not even Satan, right? So right. Have to have <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that's a good point. That's right. And, you know, we'll get into this. We're ahead of ourselves. But verse 7 is key as far as uh, what power is there that has the power to restrain evil in the world? I mean, uh, we'll get into that. That's next week's. Yeah. Right. Well, well, that will be an ultimate revealing for the Jews, for sure. Yeah. I what what is the what we commonly say as far as is the revealing is the signing of the seven year covenant. Uh, I mean, that will, we know from, we know this from, um, well, where are we here? Here we are. Daniel nine twenty seven. Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So we got this long gap period. Uh, the Jews are set aside, the church age. But then the start of the 70th week, very clearly, is this confirming of a covenant with many for one week. Uh, that will clearly be the revealing. Uh, we know this is, is, is the prince that is to come, the, the, the Antichrist, the ruler that is to come. And so this really, everybody in, my, in our camp, dispensational camp that we're in, says, they believe this is the revealing. This, may, this is the clear sign that this is the guy. He signs the seven-year covenant uh, with Israel for, for one week. Now, that's the initial revealing. Um, let's see here. So here's uh, Paul's flow of thought. Our gathering, removal of the church, uh, the departure, removal of the spirit, uh, resulting in manifestation of the, of the Antichrist. I think uh, this is really kind of a package here. Uh, we're, we're caught up to meet the Lord. Uh, spirit's uh, restraining ministry through the church is removed. And uh, then you have the revealing of the Antichrist. All pretty close proximity. Uh, and then he's described as the son of perdition. So um, son of perdition is really the idea of, his, of destiny. Uh, it's a state of destruction or ruin, loss of well-being. This ultimately uh, characterizes him. Uh, Judas is called this, by the way. Uh, perdition refers to a state of ruin or destruction, loss of well-being, but not extinction. This term was first applied to Judas. The Hebrew idiom son of speaks of a characteristic relationship, in this case, one identified with destruction. His character of lawlessness results in his destiny of perdition. This is what defines him. 
lawlessness and ultimately his, his uh, destiny of, of perdition. Okay, so, first, <clears throat> departure of the Spirit, the man of sin is revealed, then the day of the Lord. So uh, he, he puts these uh, two things have to be in place first. Uh, departure of the Spirit, the man of sin revealed, then we enter into the day of the Lord um, in earnest. Okay, um, anything else there? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we are looking, been looking for peace for 2,000 years. Right. That's a great point. And, and you know, you can just see the world have, if somebody could really f- fix the Middle East, the, the puzzle there, and, and finally bring peace to that area, man, uh, you're going to have a lot of respect overnight if you can pull that off. And he's going to do this. He's going to broker that. So, but notice it continues on here. Uh, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is, above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Um, opposes. Uh, the idea of Antichrist is, uh, you know, uh, instead of or against. That word anti can mean instead of or against. And here the clear idea is, is opposes. I mean, he puts himself up so high as to take on all challengers when it comes to this idea of being God. He exalts himself. I mean, he's a self-made man. I mean, he puts himself in this position. You talk about a guy full of ego. Uh, This is supreme ego. Exalts himself. How high? Above all that is called God. I mean, he claims to be above anything else that claims to be God. He says, I am the supreme God. I am the most. I am God over all. Uh, I mean, exalts himself above all that is called God. I mean, you can't put yourself any higher than this. What an amazing thing. You know, it almost seems like it's higher than Satan. What did Satan say in Isaiah 14? I will be like the most high God. What's this guy saying? I'm, I'm, I'm not like the most high God. I am a... I am the most high God overall. I'm not just like him. Uh, I say this here. Antichrist in his prideful ignorance puts himself above God. Seems to me that Satan with his first-hand knowledge of God realized that there is no greater reality than to be like God. While the Antichrist in his puffed-up, clouded mind thinks he can be above God. Truly does not know God. Uh, that's for sure. <clears throat> he, he has no clue. Um, or that is worshipped. And, and that's kind of redundant in a sense because... Uh, you worship what is is your God. And so he is, again, making himself above all that is called God. Um, and it's interesting, though, where this goes, or all that is worshipped. But then there's a special emphasis on what is worshipped, the God of Israel. The God of Israel in particular. That's what it zeroes in on as it goes to say, so that he sits as God in the temple of God. Why wouldn't he go there? Why doesn't he go somewhere where the, uh, you know, go to Mecca? Or, uh, you know, go where, you know, Buddha uh, is from. Uh, I don't know. He chooses the temple of the Jews. So that he sits as God, uh, claiming he's God in the temple of God. It's really serious. Uh, Here is why this blasphemy is so serious. God is said to be holy. In fact, holy, holy, holy is 
in Isaiah 6.3, stressing in the absolute superlative of how holy he is. Holiness speaks of moral purity, but more than that, the word holy conveys the idea of uniqueness, emphasizing that God is distinct and one of a kind. There is no other like him. He is incomparable. So for this man to come on the scene and say, you know, I'm not just like God, I'm above uh, God. Really, you can't even conceive of anything else like God. Solomon said, there is no God like you. God repeatedly states his unique holiness as seen, for example, in Isaiah. To whom will you liken me, God says, or whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. God is unrivaled without parallel and unmatched in every way. He is holy. Because he is fundamentally holy, it is blasphemously evil to treat him as common or ordinary. Uh, and, but here, he, this is, it's, a, it's indescribable what he's doing. He goes into the temple, and what's that tell you? Well, the temple has to be rebuilt in order for him to go into the temple. So I don't know, at some point, that temple is going to be rebuilt. I don't know when, but it is going to be. And certainly at the midpoint of the, of the tribulation, uh, it will be in place there. And it's interesting, the word temple here is naos, which refers to the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, not Hirion, the, the outer temple complex. It's, it's really, he goes into the holy of holies. I mean, this is incredible. Claiming that he's God, showing himself that he is God. What an incredible abomination. Uh, the event mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 is that which Daniel referenced in Daniel 9.27, which Christ mentioned in Matthew 24.15, as the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And then in Matthew 24.21, Christ connects it to the time of the great tribulation. The language in Daniel emphasizes this as the height, the high point, or the wing is what he, it says, but the idea is the, the high point of abomination. Yeah, I, you can't get much more blasphemous than this. This is, this is the high point. The most contested piece of property in the world today is the Temple Mount. <clears throat> the Jews call Israel the centerpiece of the world, the epicenter of the world. Uh, the epicenter of Israel is Jerusalem, and the epicenter of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. Uh, this is ground zero in conjunction with the second coming. Well, he's on... If, talk about holy ground. He's in there doing the most unholy, blasphemous, abominable thing... Uh, showing himself that he is God. By the way, uh, it's interesting language, showing himself that he is God. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's very impressed with himself, and, and he's showing himself that he's God. Uh, now, the God of heaven doesn't get it, <laughs> but he's showing himself uh, that he's God. You know, this thing of being self-deceived, you know, pride is the idea of, of your, you got this, this, your head is blown up. You know, you got a, you got a balloon for a head. And I mean, it's, it's, it's causes you not think straight. And he is self-deceived here, showing himself that he is God. And then he says, verse 5, to finish out here, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I, amazing. This is not new information. No wonder he's telling them, Kind of almost, not scolding, but, you know, lovingly correcting them. Don't be soon shaken in mind. I told you this. Don't you remember? When I was still with you, I told you these things. This isn't new information. Don't be shaken. Get a grip on your mind. Don't be soon shaken in your, in your, in your mind or troubled. Be consistent with my apostolic teaching. I, I told you these things. Stick with it. Don't be, don't let anybody sway you. Stick with the apostolic teaching here. 
Don't you remember it when I was with you? I, I still with you. I told you these things. So to finish out, one more slide. We've had a lot of slides tonight. Uh, the rapture is the next great event on God's prophetic calendar. You know, we talk a lot about this here, perhaps today. The rapture of the church happens first in conjunction with the Spirit's removal. And then on the heels of the rapture, very rapidly will fall into place the revealing of Antichrist, which will then be followed by the day of the Lord's judgment. Thus, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul gives us the sequential order of things related to the rapture and that which follows. He's saying you can't be in the day of the Lord because the departure has to take place first. You say, well, what is that departure? Well, I told you what I think it is. <laughs> uh, but that has to be in place. And then you have to have the revealing of the man of sin. And I take that, that sign, until that signing of the seven-year covenant, you haven't entered into the day of the Lord yet. But when he signs that, that covenant, that seven-year covenant, bingo, we're in there. But on this side of it, we're not there yet. So don't be shaken in your minds. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, Vince? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When he met Jesus Christ, he said to Jesus Christ, if you worship me, so he wanted to be like God. Mm-hmm. And now we get to the end of the age, so he's going to declare himself to be God. You know, so why is he, you know, what other option he has? Well, that's true. You know, he can repent. Nope, not at this point. He can say, whoops. Yep. <laughs> he's got to give it all he's got because that's all he's got. That's yeah. true. Yep. And it's so crazy to think about how absolutely crazy to I mean, he had the highest position in heaven as Lucifer. And uh, it wasn't good enough for him. He wanted more. Uh, Wanted to take over God's position. It's just insane. Be happy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, we... You shall be like God, he told Eve. Yeah. Absolutely, brother. I agree totally. Yep. Uh, but for the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah. He was creating God's image in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. We already had that highest position, being image bearers of God. Yeah, yeah. Okay, which just goes back to what we're talking about. You know, sin is not ever quite satisfied with godliness, with contentment is great gain. But, you know, sin, I want to be, I want more. I mean, I think about Korah and his rebellion. Wasn't happy with that high position of a Levite. Wanted to have the priest, wanted to have Moses' position. Anyway, on and on. Okay, uh, let's uh, share some prayer items. Uh, 